Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your intrepid host, Tim Root, and with me as always, my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, have you ever heard the word intrepid, uh, unless someone is referring to themselves as an intrepid host? No. It feels like that's the only time that word gets used. Right. <laughs> Today is December 4th, 1995, but don't worry, we're not cold because we are in the warm home of Super Bowl 30. It's the greater Phoenix Scottsdale area, <laughs> which definitely means that the show is out in Scottsdale somewhere. And right. they're just trying to link it to the nearest big city. <laughs> we are in front of 9,000 fans, uh, 3,000 of which about paid for the show. Uh, don't have uh, dollar amounts for that, but that is two-thirds of the fan. It's uh, brought in for free. want to remind everyone here at the top of the show that you can find us at www.piledriverwrestling.net in the OSW podcast section, as we are a proud part of the OSW podcast network. You can also find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro, Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. And you can check us out on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Hey, you know what? You're listening to the show. Why am I telling you how you can find the show? If anyone knows, it's you, right? You're the la- These are the last people I need to tell. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> it's just That's the thing you do at the beginning of shows. You tell people how they can listen to the thing they're listening to. And also, this week's Nitro is brought to you by Weasel Wafers. <laughs> the delightful bag of treats that Bobby Heenan has at the broadcast booth with him during yeah. this week's show. Which he almost calls Weenal Wafers at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so as we come into the show, we see the announcer's desk and apparently as some kind of uh, uh, prop comedy that he is trying out in, uh, in what's the word I'm looking for, in, in like reflection of Pepe. He wants his own Pepe. Yeah. He, he's gone to like some kind of Spencer's gifts or whatever the fuck <laughs> and found this little it's like a raccoon tail sticking out of a bag of chips and it's battery powered. So it like flops around as if you've got an animal trapped in a bag of potato chips. Yeah. And uh, I love Bobby. I think Bobby's a comedic genius, but this just smacked of laziness. He was just at a fucking <laughs> mall right. and he saw this thing. and He's like, ah, it reminds me of Mongo's little fucking rat dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually brought it on the show. Yeah, I think from the previous uh, couple of weeks when he's had the Japanese flag and he had the um, sake, he maybe he has like an affinity now for props. So <laughs> hopefully that's something he'll kind of get over because it is kind of it's corny and Bobby Keenan doesn't need like the extra stuff to be funny. Exactly. Uh, we learned at the beginning of the show here that uh, last week on Saturday night, as we referenced in our last show, they they told us there'd be a big announcement on Saturday night. Turned out that announcement was that Sting. Lex Luger and Ric Flair are going to compete in Starcade in a triangle match, which will determine the number one contender who will then face our champion, Randy Macho Man Savage, later on in the same Starcade show. Uh, so what do you what do you think of that idea? Uh, I think, I mean, obviously, staying Lex Luger and Ric Flair in a triangle match would be really interesting. It's, uh, you know, because their last pay-per-view, World War Three, uh, I think both of you, us agreed that one of the biggest issues was people pulling double duty right and they're having another show in which they're having probably four of their guys pulling double duty again and uh and we'll talk about it in a little bit but there's actually this leaves open the possibility at least uh that one of these guys would be performing triple duty 
on that show. But oh, right, yeah. We'll, we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, oh, I'm uh, sorry, go ahead. Short aside here, just kind of off-topic thing, but I thought it would be interesting to discuss. The fact that they call their three-way match a uh, triangle match. Right. Uh, I just kind of got to thinking as far as like what to call three-way matches. And in my opinion, I would say that triple threat match is like the best name for it. Yes. Um, I'm not sure I like triangle match. It kind of, it sounds, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what the word is for it, but it, it, it doesn't sound like a, a thrilling spectacle or something. And it's actually not made clear because keep in mind that in 1995, the audience would not have known what to expect when we hear three people in a match, triangle match, triple throat match, whatever you want to call it, we have expectations. Yeah. Um, but at this point, the only places really uh, that had done triple threat matches were Mexico and ECW. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not actually clear. And and Meltzer uh, has kind of speculated in the newsletters that I've been reading from this period. It's not actually clear if all three of these guys are going to be in the ring at the same time. Or if this is going to be some kind of, like, you have to tag in scenario, which oh, I sure. always hate when that, that kind of... They do that in tag matches a lot, yeah. where the only two teams can be in the ring, but the other teams are on the apron trying to tag themselves in. I really hate that in tag matches. So, mm-hmm. kind of, we'll have to wait till we get to Starcade and see what form this match takes. Uh, speaking of good names for it, though, Bischoff does, at some point later in the show, refer to it as a menage a trois, oh, yes. which, gross. <laughs> <laughs> And also, uh, Bobby Heenan refers it to a, a trifecta match. Yeah, yeah, we'll actually hear that uh, audio clip a little later because poor old Bobby sounds confused and out of his element right. trying to talk about this new match. Yeah. Tri- uh, um, and now that you mention it with ECW, uh, because I know that they were calling theirs th- the three-way dance. Yes. And I feel like the triangle match was just a way to name it something else. Sure. And that was the only thing they could come up with. I don't know. They could have just called it like a three-way match. Right. Uh, something that makes it a little bit more apparent. Because Triangle, if they don't know if, if this crowd's not been uh, exposed to these kind of matches, mm-hmm. could mean anything. Right. Tonight, uh, Bischoff tells us that we're going to have a title match between Lex Luger and Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh, we see that Pepe is dressed as a guardian angel, and he is sitting on Mongo's shoulder, uh, which is just darling. Yeah, and I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't a reference to the guardian angel. Oh, although, yeah. although he is now Big Bubba Rogers. Maybe, maybe that's that... why. Maybe they didn't want right. to call back to a guy's previous <laughs> gimmick. So I want to talk about something um, that really was more applicable kind of uh, in our post-World War III episode. Um, but it's something that I just heard when I was listening uh, to an episode of, of Kevin Sullivan's podcast, the Hell of a Deal podcast over on the MLW network. Um, the host makes a really good comparison between and we've talked about how Hogan with the Giant was trying to recreate Andre the Giant, yeah. and with the Renegade was trying to recreate the Ultimate Warrior. Uh-huh. Uh He points out that really there's so many similarities between the ending of World War Three and the uh, ending, or at least really the whole show of WrestleMania Four. So here you have a multi-man affair. Uh, mm-hmm. WrestleMania Four is a tournament. At World War Three, it was a battle royal. Uh, battle royal. Hulk Hogan was eliminated from both under dubious circumstances. Yeah. Uh, it was a double disqualification at WrestleMania 4 and uh, being pulled under the rope, so not even technically eliminated at World War 3. Uh, at WrestleMania 4, that double DQ was in a match with Andre the Giant. And here, this was with Andre the Giant's supposed son. Mm-hmm. Both events end with Randy Macho Man Savage winning the title. And both events also include 
uh, Hogan overshadowing Macho Man's title win. Mm-hmm. Um, at WrestleMania 4, he comes in and it, he makes it all about how happy he is for his friend. Uh, okay. Here, here he steals the moment by bitching about how he wasn't actually eliminated. <laughs> so, so, so he's older but not wiser. <laughs> so the sort of natural inclination for the audience is to see this as a repeat of the Mega Powers colliding, except for instead of over a year, as that original story took, uh-huh. uh, now it's being told basically in a month from World War Three, and then you'd think at Starcade, which is essentially their biggest show of the year, uh, they're going to fight because Macho Man will get sick of, of Hogan stealing the spotlight, which is essentially how the story was told before, except for before, you know, Elizabeth was also drawn in the storyline. But again, mm-hmm. in, in the past, they had a full year to tell that story. So Sullivan says he's a little wishy-washy on it. He thinks that Hogan may have set it up that way on purpose, um, especially because, according to him, Hogan was the one who said they should put the belt on Randy. Um, But it's unclear how much that could be the case because Hogan is not involved at Starcade at all, and he's filming a movie. So that's something he would have known months before. So it's not like he could have in... November set up a Starcade match with Savage and then in December decided not to do it to go film a movie. He would have already known he was filming a movie. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. So it's a little unclear whether this was supposed to lead to a Macho Man Hogan match at Starcade, but it's certainly interesting to see how much of World War Three was in fact a retelling of WrestleMania four. Um so the guy who hosts that that podcast with Kevin Sullivan, uh I thought that was just really insightful, uh so again, I want to give full credit to them. That's that's not our own insult. Uh, that's not our own insight, but it, it certainly gives a lot of context to uh, this period in, in Nitro's history. And maybe, maybe if that's what the fans are catching on to, could that be a reason where it's been planted in their minds that it's not so much that Savage is champion, but Hogan's not champion? Right. Because oh, yeah. you you definitely there are more than a few times when Savage comes out as champion that the fans are not excited for him. And interestingly enough, despite their relationship on screen right now as best friends, uh, Savage and Hogan are not getting along. And uh, I've heard it alluded to in a few things, but never outright stated. It it's I don't I don't know how to like walk the edges of this, but it sounds like many people are implying that at the very least there was a belief in Macho Man's mind that there was some part inappropriate relationship between Hogan and Elizabeth. So I don't want to like speculate any further past it. No one ever comes out and out and says exactly what they're thinking. Sure. But in a lot of podcasts and books and stuff, I've just heard little references that can lead one to think that a lot of, that at least Macho Man thought that was the case. Yeah. And, and I, and I do know from, from previous stories that not only was Savage, uh, pretty much as paranoid a person as he was a wrestler character. Right. But uh, also, he was pretty uh, um, protective of his relationship. Abusive. With... I mean, protective sounds oh, almost yeah. good. He he would lock her in the house when he left. Yeah. You know, he he was legitimately an abusive, yeah. horrible husband to that, that poor woman who I grew up thinking was just the most beautiful woman on the planet. You know, ugh, ugh. I don't. That's the kind of wrestling stuff I don't even. You know, it sucks to talk about. Yeah. Anyway, 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 we're, we're way off the rails of this Nitro episode. Uh, Bischoff tells us here at the start of the show that effective exactly 48 minutes ago, I don't know why he's so specific. Yeah, that was, 
But 48 <laughs> minutes ago, the executive committee flew... Well, they didn't fly 48 minutes ago, but they flew into town earlier. And then 48 minutes ago, they uh, put Hogan, Flair, and the Giant on probation. Right. Uh, due to the fracas last week, uh, where I think Flair punched a referee, Hogan punched a referee... The Giant has just been running roughshod and everyone. He didn't manhandle a referee, but he's just being a dick. <laughs> so those three are officially on probation. And I one question I had, so this is the first reference that I can recall, although there's probably been others, to the WCW Executive Committee. Uh-huh. Now, I know there's also Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle. Mm-hmm. I, God, I can never say that. Nick Bockwinkle. Yeah, there you and go. And he's been referred to a number of times, but we've never seen him on Nitro. We've also heard reference to the championship committee, which sounded more like a worldwide organization, not specific yeah. to WCW. Can you tell me, do you feel like at this point in history, you understand WCW's power structure, their kayfabe power structure? No, not particularly. I know that this, uh, what was the first committee called again? The executive committee. I, I believe the executive committee is the one that kind of sticks as the name that they use. Sure. I, I think that right now they don't, have a good idea of what they're and it seems like um and i guess we'll see this over time but it seems like to to my mind that they're sort of phasing out references to the commissioner yeah um and instead replacing it with this executive committee i don't know if bockwinkle's um contract ran out or if they decided that he represented too much of the previous generation and he didn't fit in with what they wanted to do with nitro sure dave penzer welcomes us to the ring and tells us that our first match tonight is for the tag team championships and uh, out come the American males, and uh, in the past they've been faces, but I would characterize this as a very mixed reaction to these guys, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think that's more a product of the fact that they they really had like no direction, so I, I don't feel like they gave fans reason to be invested in them. Right. Um, so when, when they heard that American males are like, nah, you know, they're okay, I guess, but not enough to really like get behind them. I also think that uh, uh, Bagwell, at least, maybe not Riggs as much, Bagwell is coming across as a heel. He's sort of carrying himself in that more in the buff Bagwell style that we, you know, we will see later. Sure. Um, where he's just kind of full of himself. And that really wasn't a part of the character before. These guys before were just clean cut, attractive guys. Uh-huh. And now it seems like there's a little bit of we're full of ourselves that's been added in. Um, so I don't know if that's Bagwell just coloring in a little more of his own personality or, or exactly what's going on. But the crowd is definitely receiving them at least partly as heels. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, a situation where a lot of the guys are treating them as heels. And a lot of the girls are cheering because they're good looking young dudes, you know, or, or at least Marcus Bagwell is right. Yeah. Scotty Riggs. <laughs> they may present him as such, but he is, yeah, <laughs> right. that's, that's true. But they're, they're not fooling me with that trick. <laughs> Bischoff reminds us that the males uh, shocked the Harlem heat once on nitro uh, to win the tag team title belts. And that goes way back to episode three, uh, which aired on September 17th. So as we recall, basically the American males on that show were set to go against uh, the the Blue Bloods. And instead, is that what they're called? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, they, were, they were scheduled to fight the Blue Bloods and instead Harlem Heat came out, attacked the Blue Bloods and just demanded that the American males face them for the tag team championships. Yeah. Which the really... males then won uh, uh-huh. due to Sherry... Uh, distracting Harlem Heat with her romance with Colonel Robert Parker. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, um, because before, at the beginning of the show, they also said that we're going to have Randy Savage defending the title mm-hmm. against Lex Luger tonight. 
And at this point, Eric Bischoff makes the comment that uh, that Savage didn't have to defend the title tonight, but he chose to. Interesting. Uh, they do seem to be developing the character of, uh, or at least his, his reign as him being a fighting champion. Yeah. That's something that gets referenced a quite a bit over the like the next couple of weeks yeah it just uh the way that he turned the phrase made it sound like that he uh, it's like well you you could have just like <laughs> had the day off if you wanted yeah. to well it was wcw randy probably could have whatever days off he wanted to yeah <laughs> then again it's it's against lex luger who is his sworn enemy right and it's like well if i had to put the title on the line because i mean we've shown that lex luger is willing to put anything on the line in order to face randy savage yep even when he doesn't need to. So it's like it's like turnabout. Harlem Heat come out next, and they are accompanied by Sister Sherry. Uh, Mongo plugs Macho versus Lex, and he, again, and this is kind of a trope of his at this point, he wonders why this match is on free TV rather than on pay-per-view. So Mongo is asking the questions that uh, I'm sure much of the audience... Although, honestly, I can joke, I guess, but a tag team title match, that's a good TV match. Tag team titles are... That's a that's a championship that should be defended on television, I think. Well, I I thought that he was referring to the world title match. Oh, that could be. So maybe I'll just maybe you the audience will never hear this part. <laughs> Nick Patrick uh holds up the belts and uh this is neither here nor there, I guess, but the way that he's holding with his arms close to his face and up up above his head, it really emphasizes his big double chin and his goober face. <laughs> and uh, I just I made a note of it because I really want to put a screenshot of that moment on our Facebook page. <laughs> so uh, if you're hearing this episode, go check out our Facebook page and look at Nick Patrick holding up the tag team belts and looking like a real fucking goober. <laughs> this match starts off with Stevie Ray and Scotty Riggs, uh, which is not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Stevie beats down Riggs in the corner with punches and chops. Uh, he uh, Riggs hits a leapfrog and a couple of drop kicks and goes for a pin, but Stevie kicks out before the one count. And after a little bit more back and forth, he hits a side slam and brings in Booker T, who gets hit with a flying forearm for Ri- from Riggs, who then brings in Bagwell. For, uh, at, fortunately, Stevie Ray was tagged out right away because initially Bischoff said that he is sporting a bad ankle. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yep. But really, if you think about Stevie Ray, I I doubt that's going to limit his wrestling repertoire. But, sure. Uh, <laughs> but either way, when he, when it comes to Harlem Heat, you know Harlem Heat's a pretty cool tag team. But it's really about watching Booker T. Absolutely. Uh, Bagwell comes into the ring pretty cool. He he slingshots himself over the ropes and kind of turns that into a flying shoulder block on Booker. So that was really cool. Um, but that brings Stevie Ray into the ring and uh, the heels. Both get body dropped by the faces simultaneously. Bagwell and Booker go back and forth as the camera cuts to the entranceway where we see Colonel Robert Parker standing there with a gift box. And Bischoff goes, what's that maniac doing here? (laughs) Colonel Robert Parker is a lot of things, but a maniac? Like, what? How on earth is he a maniac? He's just like a southern-style plantation owner-type character. He's, I've never seen him be violent with anyone. He's definitely not a maniac. And, and also, since it's Harlem Heat and Sensational Sherry, or is she being called Sensational Sister Sherry? Sherry. Sister Sherry, okay. Uh, you kind of expected he was going to come out at some point anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, so the announcers speculate on what the gift could be, uh, with Heenan guessing that it's a diamond ring for Sherry, and Mongo guessing that it's a scorpion wrapped up from the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the ring, we see that Riggs is now in for the males, and he gets a leapfrog and a dropkick, and uh, B- 
Bischoff helpfully points out that Scotty Riggs did the exact same uh, spot already in the match. <laughs> Which So you're watching it, and you, you do notice that he's repeating himself, and then Bischoff's like, yeah, he's had a lot of success with that because he already hit it earlier. <laughs> okay, well, maybe don't, don't point that out. It, it should also be noted at this point that um, – that Colonel Robert Parker is, is at ringside with yeah. Sherry. They're doing like the opening up the present and it's really distracting as a viewer. Yes. But the wrestlers could care less. <laughs> we get a big slam for Booker to Scotty Riggs and we go back out to the ring and see Sherry opening her gift as Dave alluded to. Mongo takes another stab at it and this time guesses it's a rattlesnake. And I'm really starting to wonder what Christmas was like at the McMichael household. <laughs> I think at this point also Bobby Heated asked if it was ticking. <laughs> uh, it is indeed a ring, so Bobby was uh, right. And Sherry kisses Robert Parker. Booker misses an elbow drop and does a early kind of prototype spin a to get back up. It's not quite the full what we would know in 2015 as a Booker T spin a Right. He's, he's getting there. Yeah. And then he uh, nails a huge roundhouse kick, which only gets a one count uh, because Riggs grabs onto the nearby bottom rope. We cut over to Sherry and Robert Parker, who are leaving uh, together kissing. Booker T, at, at this point, he does notice, and he gets annoyed. Um, but only for about two seconds, and then he just turns around and gets back to the match. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Booker T gets tagged back in by Stevie Ray, and he hits a, a few knees to the gut and a big kick on Scotty Riggs. Riggs goes down, and he's uh, pretty much out cold, and we see in the front row of the audience A.C. Green of the Phoenix Suns who is yelling at Booker from the front row. So he is uh, not a fan of these heel tactics. Yeah. And then Bobby Heenan at this point says, does AC Green still play for Buddy Ryan? Oh, no, wait, that's hockey. So he has a basketball, football, and hockey reference that, again, goes just clear over everyone else's head. I went clear over my head, but that's because <laughs> I don't know a lot about 1995 sports, I guess. Back in the ring, Riggs gets a sunset flip on Booker. And Booker takes a very long time going down, which is kind of a callback to uh, their first Nitro match, where I, rem- I remember noting that Booker had a real long time going down in Sunset Flip, and then he tags Stevie Ray as he fell. I remember really liking that. This time, he doesn't get the uh, tag, but the pin only gets a one count. Uh, Booker, because he's getting pinned in a Sunset Flip, and after one, he just punches Riggs right in the face. <laughs> and even though that seems like such an easy, basic idea, you don't see that a lot in, in yeah. sun, to break up a pin. So I thought I actually got a little chuckle out of that. I thought it was pretty funny. The heels hit a double suplex on uh, Riggs, and Stevie Ray tags Booker back in. Riggs finally hits the hot tag to Bagwell, who unloads punches on Harlem Heat. Uh, and then he hits a perfect plex on Stevie for a two count, but Booker T breaks that up. Riggs, at this point, comes in to argue with the ref, which gives Stevie time to drag Bagwell all the way over to the heel corner where Booker nails him with the Harlem hangover, which yep. he gets up on the top uh, top turnbuckle, top rope in the corner and then does like a flipping leg drop. It's pretty cool looking. Good yep. good move. Um, I worry for him a little bit because a leg drop, we all know, I mean, a, a basic leg drop ruined Hogan's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here he's doing a leg ro- drop off the top rope with the added momentum of flipping into it. Yeah. And it, it, it looked especially impressive because, like, Booker T is a pretty big guy. And, yeah. And he, he did that and made it look really fluid. 
of of the non cruiserweight wrestlers, Booker T is usually my favorite when we get to see him on Nitro. Oh yeah, and so of course we see him like once every six <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Booker pins Bagwell, which uh, doesn't make a ton of sense because Nick Patrick never saw Booker get tagged in. Yeah, he's just cool with it. <laughs> um, I love. I mean, I know that's a trope. The heels can tag without the ref seeing, but he doesn't even do the thing where he indicates that he heard the tag and does yeah. the slap. He just. Turns around and see uh, the Harlem hangover happen, and Booker gets the pin, and he's just like, "Okay, I'll count three, whatever." <laughs> what did you What did you think of the tag match uh, this time? Harlem Heat retaining the tag team titles over the American Males. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good match. Um, American Males, I I feel, I mean, even though it doesn't seem like they really are doing much with them, but they look pretty good in their matches. I remember that previous one with Lex Luger and Meng, they looked really good too. Um, yeah. I I just thought I thought it was weird that with the angle with Sherry, tip mm-hmm. typically that usually leads to the manager's respective team losing. Uh, I guess I really don't understand where that that storyline is going. Right, and it doesn't seem like it really even relates to Harlem Heat. Yeah, those two are in love. Occasionally, he comes out. It seems like he can only profess his love when she's standing by a ring <laughs> while some of her clients are wrestling. That's the only time he can think of. To... It's, it's like uh, it's like he can't ever find her at the arena until she's like on camera. Yeah. Just, oh, she's she's at ringside. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought this was a pretty standard television match, but um, mm-hmm. no major botches. Everybody looked good. Even Stevie and Scotty Riggs didn't. They didn't look bad. They didn't screw anything up. Right. Uh, Booker looked great as always. Bagwell's got a ton of charisma. So I like this match. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. We go to a commercial, and as we come back, Mean Gene is in the aisle way with Sting and Lex Luger. And uh, let's hear what those two goofballs have to say this week. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are live from Phoenix, Arizona. Great crowd on hand. And Sting, you have asked the total package, Lex Luger, to join the two of us this evening as we talk a little turkey. The holiday spectacular Starcade coming up on December the 27th from Nashville, Tennessee. You, the total package, and the nature boy, Ric Flair, are gonna be involved in a triangle match. And I know, recently, you got the nature boy to say uncle. But what about this man? What's the story? Well, let me give it to you, Mean Gene. I called Lex Luger out here tonight on national TV and in front of this unbelievable Phoenix crowd. They are. All right, yeah, because I wanted him without Jimmy Hart by his side. Friendship is friendship, and you've been my best friend for 10 years. Jimmy Hart is the business part of it. I don't agree with that part of your life right now. But the other thing that I wanted to say is, I think you stand a good chance of winning tonight and becoming the new world heavyweight champion. But one more but in this whole thing right here. That doesn't mean, Lex, that there's a big pot of gold waiting for you at the end of that rainbow because coming up at Starcade, I'm involved in a triangle match. And momentum seems to be going my way and I think that at this triangle match, I'm gonna pull off the win, which means I'm gonna face you for the world heavyweight title, possibly. Let's not put the cart before the horse, Sting. Hey, Lex is my best friend, but Lex, I gotta tell you, just because you're my best friend doesn't mean that I'm gonna be twinkle toeing out there around you. I'm gonna be coming at you just the same way I would be coming at the Nature Boy or anybody else here at WCW. That's all I wanted to say. What's your sense of all of this, Lex? Well, I agree with his predictions because tonight I will become the next WCW World Heavyweight Champion. So you're right on the money there, old buddy, old pal. 
You are right on the money. But when we talk about triangle matches in Starcade, let me tell you, when you get in the ring and I go get in the ring, friend or foe, the same thing goes for me. No holds barred. That's the way it goes. All right. Fair enough. Thank you, Fair enough. Only time will tell. That's the bottom line. Woo! Yeah, All right, let's get up to the ring and the Lonsman, David Pinter. So, Dave, what did you uh, what did you think of that promo? What stuck out to you? Oh, God. I was I was a little bit surprised he even played that. <laughs> it's it's just uh, okay. So we're talking about two different matches here. We have a triangle match between Sting, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, but before that. Lex Luger's going to be facing Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. And these two, they make it sound like they they just realized there's a scenario in which Sting and Luger could face each other with one of them having the title. Right. <laughs> and it's just, all they're doing is they're stating this is a possibility. And then Lex Luger is like, I agree, it's a possibility. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, you know, when you, when you hear stories about how they, they have it, set on nitro for an interview but don't have anything planned to say yeah this is a great example of that and also we have this continuing weird tradition in which lex Luger comes out doesn't really do anything and just leaves yeah the the weirdest part of this whole interview for me is that at the end of it uh sting's music plays because he's got a match against kurosawa yeah and so mean gene just kind of walks off to the side lex heads to the back uh-huh. Like through the entranceway, yeah. Sting starts heading to the back, and then realizes, "Oh shit, that's my music!" <laughs> and he turns around and heads to the ring. It's a very unusual thing for someone to do a promo, especially a promo with another person, yeah. in the aisleway, and then everyone else just leaves and they head down to the ring. I was really not used to seeing that. Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but when it just something you've never seen in wrestling before. When it happens, it just really stands out as as weird. <laughs> I guess it sounded like that for Sting, too, because he's like, yeah, we usually leave during the, oh, I guess I have a match. All right. So the one thing I, I wanted to pick out and talk about with this promo and really talk about in a broader sense of the storyline in general is that we see the Sting. This is one of the, seeing them do a promo together is an example of the Sting-Luger friendship that we hear about but don't see very often. Uh-huh. And we sort of get where their dynamic is right now with Sting saying, you've been my best friend for a long time. You've got this business agreement with Jimmy Hart that's making you do a bunch of bullshit, and I don't agree with that right now, but we're friends. Right. And then he kind of moves on. And what I guess I want to talk about is I feel like at times I particularly have been down on the Lex Luger storyline for not making a ton of sense. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I think it does actually make a lot of creative sense it's just that the announcers fail to fill in a lot of the gaps. And by not letting Sting have interview time to explain... Because they'll always say, why is Sting defending Lex? Is he? And they'll hint like he's turning heel. But they'll never just give Sting an interview to be like, what is it about Lex? Why are you defending him? Where he can say, he's my best friend. He had his shitty temper. And the thing that's really missing that they never just fucking talk about is the fact that way back at uh, Fall Brawl, Macho Man accused Lex of cheap-shotting him, which Lex didn't do. Yeah. So from the beginning, Lex was on their side. They treated him like shit and accused him of being a traitor, which he wasn't. So he figured, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. If you're going to treat me like shit and I want to be the champion and you're already acting like I'm against you, then fine, I'm against you. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
I feel like at times I I get mad because of his tweener persona. But his his I actually think it makes a lot of sense. And we always call for... Not, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. But a lot of fans wish that there were a little more shades of gray with the storytelling instead of white meat baby faces versus dastardly heels. Uh-huh. Well, that's Lex. Really, the only misstep I can find in his entire storyline so far is the fact that he teamed with Meng the night after Halloween Havoc. That made no sense because they had just had a match. And he's a really poor fit to actually like be in the dungeon of Doom. Mm-hmm. But it seems like since that time, he's completely been extricated from the dungeon of Doom. He never appears with them. You know, if he does a run-in with them, he comes out separate from them. He's not, like, one of their team. So, I actually... I, I just want to take a moment on the show to say that I actually feel like the Lex Luger storyline is compelling. It's just not being told the right way, mainly by the announcing. What do, what do you think of that? Uh, Well, I, I, I still kind of feel that they're... I mean, they have, like, a general idea of what they want to do, but... They'll end up just for the convenience of uh, the people in a given like match or given moment will go with what works or what's easiest for them. Sure. Um, so Lex does a lot of stuff that maybe you can attri- attribute to like a tweener status, but there's also things he does that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I don't think it's uh, really becoming of uh, good storytelling if a character such as Sting comes out and basically explains what the, where the story is at right now. Mm, sure. Uh, and that's fair. Yeah. Although, although wrestling as a medium uses that form. I mean, it's a it's a beat you over the head form of storytelling. Yeah. In general, I mean, literally, there's guys beating each other over the head, uh, telling a story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, that um, was a happy little accident thing. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I, I think that sometimes Eric Eric Bischoff last few weeks has done a lot of like. Uh, suggesting where he suggests like why did Sting stop Hogan from hitting the giant with a chair right or or like just micro analyzing everything that happens in a match with guys that maybe aren't getting along I, I think Eric Bischoff does a lot he throws too much stuff out there that doesn't end up being a factor so I, I know it's one thing to kind of like ha- give the viewer questions but not a whole bunch of questions in which there's literally no answer to them. Yeah, I, that's exactly, I guess, kind of what I'm getting at. If if Bischoff was providing context for Sting and Luger's relationship, yeah. instead of using the relationship as a tease for Sting turning heel, because his entire focus whenever they do the Sting and Luger stuff is, is Sting a bad guy, essentially, without using those words. Yeah. Whereas instead, he should be saying, these guys have been friends for a number of years, Sting is upset that he's, you know, sold out to Jimmy Hart, but he's not just going to turn his back on his friend completely. Uh-huh. But he forgoes that completely to, like you said, just ask questions. Yeah. So I, I feel like this failure is mostly, I put it mostly on Bischoff. Because uh-huh. Bobby's there to make jokes and Mongo is there to, who knows why the fuck Mongo is there. <laughs> but, but he's there. Yeah. And it's not to explain anything right. to anybody. Anyway, anyway, let's move on. Sting is out to face Kurosawa. He gets a lot of cool pyro from, uh, and it's from the lighting rig above the ring. Usually the pyro is from the entranceway. Oh, uh, so it's okay. kind of a different form of pyro. I thought yeah. it was pretty cool looking. Kurosawa is out without Robert Parker, uh, which is explained by saying that he is still off with Sherry. This match starts off with a sting drop kick. He then clotheslines Kurosawa over the top rope, and they brawl on the outside. Uh, Kurosawa taking control briefly. Uh, hits some moves. He rolls Sting back into the ring. 
he hits a few different arm submissions, kind of that one that he does that's supposed to break arms that he did on Hawk in his debut yeah. match. And uh, Kurosawa is also, he's doing a lot of, like, maniacal laughter at this point, too. <laughs> he's like, it, which is, it, it's different because he's usually pretty stoic yeah. in the ring. And for some reason, on this night, he is just, like, uh, becoming a supervillain, basically. <laughs> Sting fights his way back into the match with a few punches, and he slams Kurosawa uh, Kurosawa's head into a few of the turnbuckles before locking on the Scorpion Deathlock for the quick and easy win. The announcers point uh, put over Sting, and Bobby tries to plug Sting's match at Starcade, uh, but he slowly kind of loses steam as he awkwardly realizes he's not sure what it's called. And as Dave said earlier, he he guesses at trifecta uh, before Bischoff bails him out by yeah. saying it's a triangle match. <laughs> He said it, and I'll tell you what, it was an understatement. When Singer came out and said, I've got momentum going for me, i tell you what, that was the understatement of the night. This guy is on a major roll. Let me tell you, he put Hulk Hogan in that thing the other day on Nitro, and you heard Hulk saying, he's breaking my legs. He's breaking my legs. What kind of pressure is he putting on people? Well, that man can do it. Here he's got the Scorpion Deathlock hooked on Kurosawa, and he's not going anyplace. Sayonara for the gentleman from Japan. The singer's on his way to Starcade, Starcade, and that trifecta triangle match, triangle match for a shot at the WCW World Heavyweight Title. Here's a look at Starcade coming your way exclusively on pay-per-view. Uh, we then get a commercial which includes a Starcade promo, uh, which tells us that uh, from the mysterious Orient, it's an invasion from the land of the rising sun. It seems weird to say that it's from the mysterious Orient and from the land of the rising. That's a completely redundant sentence right there. That's just terrible. I'll play an audio clip so uh, our audience can hear it right here. From the mysteries of the Orient, it's an invasion from the land of the rising sun. And WCW Star K95. Hemispheres collide as the high flyers of New Japan square off against the mat-pounding pros of WCW at Starcade 95, Wednesday, December 27th, live on Pay-Per-View. So, uh, yeah, as you heard, the centerpiece of Starcade is going to be an invasion uh, by New Japan Pro Wrestling and their stars. And we will talk a little bit more specifically about what matchups and what that means uh, as time goes on a little bit. Uh-huh. First, uh, coming back from commercial, we see in a promo for Saturday night, um, the only thing I really want to mention about, about this promo is we see that Disco Inferno is going to face Johnny B. Bad, and Johnny B. Bad is being accompanied by Diamond Doll after winning her in a match yes. uh, back at World War Three. And I just want to say that Diamond Doll is wearing the weirdest outfit for, like, a woman who's supposed to be, she's portrayed as, like, a sexy woman. Yeah. Uh, she's got this, like button up all the way to her collar shirt and a vest over it and then like a giant hat yeah. and she looks like she's off the the set of like hello a production of hello dolly or something like <laughs> or, or just some 30s themed musical it's a I, bizarre choice she what, looks what, like mary poppins <laughs> with gigantic cans <laughs> <laughs> i almost stopped saying it because i felt bad but she does she looks like mary poppins with gigantic fake tits <laughs> i i thought that when i saw her that she looked like a like a cheap knockoff of like something Prin princess diana would wear <laughs> oh sh yeah actually yeah yeah I, I i thought i felt like they were trying to make her look like uh like a, a fashion fashionista that, that would make sense yeah no that actually makes perfect sense um 
The thing I wanted to point out from the Saturday Night promo is that Big Bubba Rogers is going to face Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, I think and, I have this written down what you're about to say. And Bischoff says, may the force be with Guerrero. <laughs> may the force. And he says it really sincerely. <laughs> yes. Like like maybe Jediism is his actual religion. <laughs> Some, sometimes I, I think when it comes to uh, uh, Eric Bischoff, when he needs to portray an emotion yeah and he just like can't come up with something <laughs> he just throws out whatever pops in his head and he just came up with star wars at that point <laughs> scott norton comes out and he will be facing the giant this week uh giant comes out accompanied by jimmy hart and kevin sullivan the taskmaster i just wanted i want to make a point because bischoff does his uh little shtick here about how norton worked at the uh, Grandma B's or yeah, whatever. Yeah, tell us about Norton being a bouncer at a bar yeah. in Minneapolis again. But yeah. just like the visual that he presented was uh, he would witness Norton taking a man in each hand <laughs> and throwing them through the door when the door's not even open. <laughs> it's just... Well, that's great advertising for Grandma B's. <laughs> Seriously. I'm, I'm headed there right now. <laughs> Go there. You're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> Bischoff uh, tells us that our main event next week is going to be Hogan and Sting versus Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. That is a huge matchup. Yep. And I also think that uh, this this match is kind of away from the norm, I, I felt. Like two big, strong, like pretty much heelish guys going. Well, I mean, I it's suppose. Not against, it's not out of the norm for Nitro to have two heels face each other. Yeah. For whatever reason, they like that. Um, but you're right in that this particular – and it's an unusual opponent for the Giant because he's yeah. either usually facing big names or he's running his way through Cobra in two seconds. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was getting at that um, that they bring the Giant out. and It's like a legitimate challenge. It's not like a main eventer, but it's, it, 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 it's not exactly who I would expect the Giant to be facing. And other than losing to Macho Man, uh, we haven't really seen Norton do much other than fight with the Shark. Yeah, that in also another heel. He's a heel who only fights heels, other than that <laughs> match with uh, Macho Man. That's kind of weird. Uh, th- these guys lock up, and the giant with uh, obvious more power, even though Norton is a big, powerful bastard, he uh, pushes Norton off the ropes and takes him down with a shoulder block. They lock up again, and the giant clubs his back and hits a knee to the stomach, and then a scoop slam. It's very impressive how easy it is for the giant to pick up the massive scott norton yeah he picks up this gigantic i don't know 340 pound like keg of a guy right like it's nothing yeah and it just i think it's because norton is so big he looked like he was way up in the air at that moment <laughs> yeah. that looked like for a moment could have been pretty terrifying <laughs> the giant misses a huge haymaker and norton takes the opportunity to kind of wrap up around the waist from behind and then he lifts the giant into the air and holds him there for an incredible amount of time yes. before nailing an atomic drop. Yeah. When I was watching this episode, I texted you and your brother and was like, holy shit. Yeah. And that was incredible. What do you think? It is it amazing. Not only that, but like Scott Norton, he, he realized this was like a moment he could milk a little bit. He held him up there and the, the crowd got behind it. Too. Absolutely. And so he was like, nope, I can keep I can keep him here as long as I want to. I mean, that's that's such an incredible show of strength. I was blown away. Yeah. Uh, he remains in control of the match with some punches and headbutts, uh, and it really, really becomes clear in a way that we haven't seen yet, I don't think, how green the Giant is. 
Sure. Because his selling is an incredible weak point. Yeah. Like his offense, he doesn't have much offense, but it all looks impressive because he's so big. Mm -hmm. But when he has to sell, which is, this is one of the first times I remember him doing a lot of selling other than with Hogan here and there. Yeah. Um, his selling is just really, really garbage. He mostly just <laughs> blunders around looking kind of sleepy. <laughs> um, but that's about it. It's it's he he has a long way to go when it comes to selling. Bischoff tells us, uh, and keep in mind that this is only halfway through the show, that if we need to run over the hour, we're going to. Oh yeah. Uh, so <laughs> keep that in mind because that's that might come into play later. There's that's not the kind of thing you just uh, say absentmindedly. Yeah. Scott Norton hits some clotheslines and goes up to the top rope. Uh, but this is his downfall, is when he jumps down, the giant catches him by the throat and hits a choke slam for the kind of out-of-nowhere win. Giant screams at the camera that nobody can stop him, and so much drool and spit oh, flies out of God, his mouth. yeah. <laughs> he promises to be world champion, but he just destroys the camera with saliva. So, uh, what did you think? Do you? I, there's kind of two ways you can see this match, I think. One way would be... It was a mistake to have Scott Norton in there because he's on. He's a new star who's on the way up, and here he is losing in three minutes to the Giant. Uh -huh. Or you could generously say that that uh, atomic drop spot on the Giant was the weakest that anyone has made the Giant look. Yeah. And that Norton, even though he lost the match, the Giant's been squashing everyone. So for Norton to get such an incredible amount of offense on, or in such an incredible type of offense on him, yeah. is a victory in and of itself. What do you, where do you kind of come down on that? No, I, I agree. I mean, because in a week or two, we'll probably forget that Scott Norton lost to the Giant. Right. Exactly how that match it. But we will remember the atomic drop. Absolutely. I agree. I agree and, wholeheartedly. And, and really, Scott Norton, like his whole character is his strength. Yes. And if they give him opportunities like that to display the strength, I think for him, that's uh, just as um, important as a win. So uh, I think it was, I think it was good. I think now that, now that we mention it, maybe that's why he faced the giant. They want Norton to face bigger guys to make his strength look more impressive. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, and it well, was, yeah, it comes down to, cause he was also hitting uh, the shark with some big body slams that were impressive because of how fucking fat the shark is, yeah. you know, like it was, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and they also kept the match pretty short. So it, Neither of them looked really uh, like lost or anything like that. It's interesting that you bring up the motivation of having him in the match because Sullivan sort of, he has a different take on it. He doesn't feel like Norton should have been in the spot. And it's not so much making him look weak. It's that uh, Scott Norton was very important to the New Japan Pro Wrestling promotion with whom WCW had a talent exchange going with uh, right now. Sure. So Norton is a mid-card guy in WCW. He is over as hell in Japan. Yeah. And New Japan didn't want Norton on TV unless he was winning. If you're not going to have him on TV winning, don't have him on. Because okay. it's still the early days of the internet, but there's there's dirt sheets. And, you know, so him getting pinned, that's going to make it back to Japan. Sure. And, and just be bad news. So they that was the kind of basic agreement. And Sullivan, uh, he doesn't really know why Bischoff uh, put Norton in that position anyway. And, and why he kind of continued to do it, um, and I, uh, we'll kind of get there in the coming months. Uh, but he, he actually speculates, and this is just Kevin Sullivan speculating on his show, but he speculates that it might have been personal, that it went back to beef they had in Minneapolis where supposedly Norton didn't show B Bischoff a lot of respect. So, Bish <laughs> so again, yeah, Sullivan, okay. I love him, but I, he kind of, <laughs> some of the shit he says in his show you got to take with a grain of salt. But 
Anyway, I thought it was it was interesting enough to note. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we we next get a commercial, and coming back we get uh, Ric Flair, who actually gets some booze. This is one of the first times that Flair has actually received a real heel reaction on yes. any of the nitros that I can remember watching. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that might be because we're in Phoenix, which is well outside of the Southeast, which is where he has his. You know, that's the that's Horseman territory. Yeah, and I and I was kind of speculating that um, I I think. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like that Arizona in general is a very conservative state. Yes, it, it, it is now, and I assume it was in 95. I, and, I don't know. And so when I thought of it, I thought that, like, if you're, like, a really kind of conservative fan, there's no way you're going to cheer a bad guy. You boo the bad guy. Sure. You know, so I think that they were kind of playing to what was kind of expected out of the crowd. Uh, I, you know, I, I was going to agree with that, but the Southeast United States is not exactly a liberal bastion <laughs> of progressive feeling. True, true. <laughs> no, I mean, but that... Is, but he's one of them, I yes. guess, would be part of the difference. Yep. I mean, he's he really grew up in Minneapolis, but Charlotte is his home and his heart, you know, yeah. and he's, he's made that pretty clear. He always made sure to get himself billed from Charlotte rather than Minneapolis, and so, so that... He is one of them, even if really, uh, as Minnesotans, he's one of us. Right. <laughs> Um, and I should, I said Flair comes out, but actually what happens is Flair's music hits uh-huh. and we get some booze. Uh, the actual first person out is Charles Barkley, <laughs> uh, Phoenix Suns megastar NBA player, Charles Barkley. The announcers, uh, sound as shocked as anybody. This had not been promoted ahead of time or announced ahead of time. Uh, so Barkley comes out and Flair is right behind him. Uh, Barkley actually like bows down in worship to the nature boy. Yes. Barkley is... It's, I mean, it's 1995. He's wearing some really baggy jeans and a really baggy T-shirt. Uh-huh. But the T-shirt is tucked into the jeans, yeah. and he just ends up really looking like a goof. Yeah. Like, it would have been fine untucked, but tucked in, it's a real weird look. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barkley cuts a little promo here, and uh, let's go to the audio tape. All right, folks, we're back live here at the America West Arena in the Valley of the Sun in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. This is Monday Nitro, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. Oh! Sir Charles! Charles Barkley, my friend! Wait a minute! Did he used to play for the Globetrotters? You know, that's uh, why you should tune into Nitro, baby. You just don't know who's gonna show up or what's gonna happen. Sir Charles! Whether you like it or you don't like Charles it, Charles Barkley, the Phoenix Suns, and I'll tell you what, Nitro's so hot, you don't ever know who's gonna show up. This is, like I say, where the big boys play. Well, like Charles Barkley said a long time ago, he don't have to be a role model, but I'll guarantee you, as big as he is, he looks up to the nature boy, Ric Flair. What are you talking about? Boy, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this place absolutely coming on glued. Sir Charles, does this mean anything? Do we, do we see in the future a new tag team partner for the nature boy? I tell you what. Hey, 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 hey. And he's home. Are, are you the new tag team partner for the Nature Boy? I could never, 
I could never measure up to the nature boy. But he is my man, no matter what any of these people say. Wow. But I'll tell you what. Wow. Sir Charles, I don't want you to go away because Nate, Ric Flair, this is not the first time the two of you have run the streets of Phoenix. What we've done is Nitro has pulled up in Phoenix. Sir Charles and the Nature Boy are going to tear the town down. And right now, on Monday, Nitro, the greatest basketball player alive, is standing. How about that, Phoenix? Standing next to the Nature Boy. I'm going to ask you, Sir Charles, Charles Barkley, what do you think of the reception for World Championship Wrestling here in the Valley of the Sun? Well, we have the best basketball fans in the world in Phoenix. And, and, we got the best wrestling fans, and y'all better appreciate the Nature Boy. All Whoa. right, very quickly before I get you out of here, Ric Flair, triangle match at Starcade, Sting, Luger, and yourself. All I can tell you from now on, Hogan, Sting, Luger, Savage, you better not jump on the Nature Boy anymore. Because Charles Barkley may just walk away from the NBA and become a horseman full time. All right, I wow. thank you. Charles Barkley, the Phoenix Boy, Clear, Eric Bischoff, let's get back to you. Wow. Let me tell you, as a horse trainer, Sir Charles is bagging a lame bunch there. Wow, I got to tell you what, you got to respect Sir Charles as a basketball player, but his choice and friends. You got to wonder, Bobby. Well, the man's a class act, and he's hanging with the nature boy. So, Dave, how did you like uh, Charles Barkley's little promo here? <laughs> I I loved it, actually. <laughs> I thought it was, uh, especially at the time when you would get, like, uh, celebrity guests and stuff like that, they usually had no fucking idea of how to talk to wrestling right. fans. Barkley had an understanding of what to say. And, uh, and I just, I really like the fact that he was like, listen, we're in Phoenix. I don't care if you don't like Ric Flair. Yeah. I love Ric Flair, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, he is a hero in Phoenix, and the crowd is booing, and he's just like, hey, fuck you, Ric Flair rules. <laughs> yes. He doesn't care. And he's from uh, Alabama or Mississippi, uh, one of those, Georgia, isn't he? I think he's from Georgia. And I feel bad. If anyone's really proud that they're from the same state as Barkley and I'm getting it wrong, please uh, uh, forgive me. But, yeah. Um, he So he had some kind of friendship with, uh, Ric Flair. These two are buddies, and, and Flair is the one who brought Barkley in, um, which I think gets alluded to in the Eric Bischoff episode of, of Ric Flair's podcast. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of fun. You just talked him into coming, and I like the promo. I like the fact that he's willing to heal off. Um, Flair puts over Charles Barkley as the greatest basketball player alive, which gets <laughs> that does get cheers. It's actually kind of funny because Barkley will say Ric Flair is great. Boo! Right. Flair will say Barkley's great. Yay! <laughs> Barkley says that Phoenix has the best NBA fans. Yay! Then he says they have the best wrestling fans who had better appreciate the Nature Boy. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> this crowd is, like, frantically bipolar at this point. <laughs> right. I also noticed that um, when Barkley was talking, he had, like, cuts or something like that all over his forearm. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, and so I took the time to look it up and see if this was around the time when he threw that guy th- through the plate glass windshield. Oh, yeah. Uh, like through the bar. But no, that's he, that's when he's a Houston Rocket. But oh, okay. I, I just I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But uh, yeah, I liked, I also like this promo because the promo is only to say that Ric Flair is here to party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I also love that uh, at the end there when Flair warns all the baby faces in WCW that they better not mess with him because Barkley Barkley may quit the NBA and join the Horsemen. The announcers sell that like it's a legitimate announcement. <laughs> they're like, "Whoa, you!" They they act like they're like, you know, one contract away from having Barkley a full time member of the WCW roster. Yeah. Which, I mean, which he could fill in since uh, Chris Benoit never shows up with the Four Horsemen. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we get uh, Lex's music hitting and out comes Luger alongside Jimmy Hart, who has one of his famous uh, airbrush jackets on this time with Lex's face in the back. Bobby tells us that the New Japan uh, stars who are appearing at Starcade are already in Tennessee uh, training for the pay-per-view. Bischoff tells oh. us that on Saturday night, the teams for each of the two promotions will be announced. So in our next episode, we should have more information for you on uh, what exactly is going to happen between these two promotions at Starcade. Also, Bobby Heenan said that Sonny Ono's wrestlers are training up in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, that's right. Which I like because we mentioned recently that Smoky Mountain Wrestling had closed. Picking at the wounds. <laughs> Macho Man comes out to a nice reaction. Uh, Bischoff claims that uh, Macho has become the most prolific and most well-respected champion. What the fuck is he talking about? So after winning the belt, uh, Macho has looked like a complete chump while yep. Hogan bitched about be- not being eliminated. Right. He was murdered by the Giant last week while yeah. Hogan and Sting were pretty much fine. Uh-huh. So he hasn't defended the belt whatsoever. Uh, so I don't know how he's a prolific champion. He's been champion for two weeks. Yeah. He hasn't, even if he wanted to be prolific, he would yeah. barely have had the opportunity and I don't know how he's well respected because he's looked like a complete jackass every step of the way. And and <laughs> I know this is probably Bischoff trying to help sell that point, mm-hmm. but Heenan, to his credit, as he should be doing, is making it sound like Lex Luger has a really legitimate chance of winning because mm-hmm. Savage has all these injuries. While he keeps saying that Luger, like since World War Three, has had time to train. All he's been doing is getting rested and getting ready. But Bischoff is like trying to deny the fact that Luger has a chance. <laughs> And so it's like, okay, I, I see you're trying to sell that Savage as a good champion, but sell the match. Sell the match that's like the product that's right there first. Especially because this is the time in your evening where you want to get the ratings to beat Raw. Like, yeah. you should be selling that anything could happen in this title match on your show. Yeah. Uh, he also, as he says, it sounds in that way that he has. I, if you listen to past episodes, you've noticed that I occasionally refer to times where it sounds like Bischoff is forgetting something like even the name of the show or mean gene okerlund's name sure i actually think what's going on is that he's distracted by his monitor showing raw so he's trying to see if they're going to commercial or he's trying to see exactly what they're doing and i so sometimes i'm sure he's distracted or forgets a word he's only human and he's not a great announcer anyway uh but i think a lot of the times when i'm noticing him sounding distracted he is distracted by the competitor's program and he's trying to time everything out i think that's what's happening the, the bell rings to start this match, and Mongo, in probably his funniest line in any show so far, tells us to head to the bathroom and flush our remote. <laughs> and I, that was like one of the funniest legitimate yeah. laughs I've had at a Mongo line. I was like, okay, you're, you can be charming when you want to be. I like it that, uh, that, that Mongo, he always like ups the ante when it comes to like stain on. It's not, tur- I mean, obviously, if you hear him, you're right, tuned into Nitro, but he like ups the ante as far as like ways to keep you on Nitro. Or yeah, or how stupid you are if you don't stay on Nitro. <laughs> 
if you're and he talks about how people that if you're not watching right now which is like a weird statement because how would they know you said like <laughs> i don't know I, I, no i had that written down too to go into the bathroom and flush <laughs> the remote Starting off the match, Macho Man is fired up and kind of getting back to the idea I was I was putting out there earlier that Luger uh, makes sense as a character. He's trying to just talk to Macho and maybe like explain things a little bit. Sure. And Macho just will not hear it. He's screaming and being Macho Man. And then uh, Luger actually puts out a hand to shake before the match and Macho Man kicks him in the gut. <laughs> so which one of these guys is the baby face and, and which is the, the tweener, you know? Macho takes control, and he soon is straight up choking Luger in the corner. Uh, so, yeah, again, kind of taking a, a heelish approach to this. I mean, the, the only thing I could think of is, like, uh, I mean, Savage obviously has, like, a lot of animosity towards Luger. Yeah, so, like, yes. The fact, I mean, for Luger to come in and act like his, he's his friend, like the audacity, that's probably what, like, set him off. It's like, how dare you, like, try to, like, reason with yeah. him right now? I mean, they did times. come out together at the end of Halloween Havoc only to have Luger turn on Savage and put him in the torture rack. Yeah, so, but that, that whole thing didn't make <laughs> sense anyway. So. Bischoff uh, reminds us again that if the show goes long, uh, it just they're going to stick with it. So, uh, spoiler alert, I think we might be going long since it's the <laughs> second time he's assured us of that. Right. He tells us that they're not going to cut away, unlike that canned other stuff in reference Ooh. to WWF Raw. Ooh. I, you know what? I, I can appreciate it at one point, but on the other hand, this is the 14th episode of Nitro. So maybe don't call attention to the fact that every other episode ended exactly on time. Because it's like he's trying to say this is, this is um, you know, this is real. This is legitimate, not that canned pre-taped stuff that just ends right on time. Uh-huh. Your other 13 shows ended on time, Eric. Like, maybe don't call it... Just st talk about how this is an exciting match and you're going to stay with it. Don't don't call it... And just, yeah. You know what I'm saying. I do. Macho Man rolls Lex back into the ring. Uh, they've been brawling on the outside. I kind of skipped over some of these moves because it's a little bit of a snooze fest. He hits a top rope double axe handle. Uh, at that point, Bobby says that you have to pin Macho Man because he will never quit. And I, and, I, and I like that he's putting over Macho Man's intensity, but Lex literally did defeat Macho Man via the torture rack submission hold back in uh, episode five of Monday Nitro. <laughs> I mean, that, that wasn't that long ago, you know? He hasn't quit for like seven weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man works a, a headlock, but Lex gets out of it, and they take turn hitting a lot of punch and kick-based stuff, uh, kind of take him in the corner, punch and kick him in the corner. Other guy shoots him in the corner. They punch and kick in the corner. Yeah, I mean, this match, there's not a lot of like thrills or like high moments. It's kind of these two working kind of like typical match they always have with each other. Lex blocks a couple of suplex attempts before hitting his own suplex on Randy. He goes for a standing elbow drop on Macho's injured arm, but Randy rolls out of the way uh, and he takes control as we head to commercial. And despite Bischoff uh, being the one who tells us we're going to commercial, the announcers just keep calling the match like we're not going. It's very confusing. They're like, all right, we're going to go to commercial. Oh, Macho Man with another move. And they just yeah. as they just fades out like as if there's other people who don't have to watch the commercials. We're just some of the unlucky <laughs> ones. It's, it's weird. I just and I also thought it was weird that they're saying like they're they're going to run over like they're going to stay on this action. Yeah. But they're also going to leave the action for commercials. <laughs> we come back uh, to Macho Man working Lex's arm on the outside of the ring. Uh, and this still really comes across to me like Randy's the heel. He's he's 
wrestling this match much more like a heel than Lex is. Uh-huh. The only thing keeping Lex heel is the fact that he has Jimmy Hart with him shouting in the megaphone the whole time. Macho Man gets Lex in an kind of arm focused submission. I don't know the name of it in the, in the middle of the ring, and they have themselves a nice little rest hold for a yeah. while. Oh, and Lex Luger is just screaming at the top <laughs> of his lung. I, I I had a few notes in here that that I mean Luger took it to like the next level as far as his like screaming when it comes to mm, selling. Sure. Um, and then you're gonna get. I mean, this is kind of you know Lex Luger is trying to do the right thing of selling the arm. But it's it really ends up slowing down and handicapping this match to like a level where he really just shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Uh, soon after that, they're, they're, these two are back on the outside and Macho Man misses a double axe handle and ends up hitting the guardrail, uh, which puts Lex in charge. Bischoff again tells us that if this match goes long, he's been assured by TNT that the show will keep going. So we, we get it. You're going over. Fine. <laughs> and maybe maybe... I'm sick of it because it, an overrun in wrestling is a normal part of the culture now. Yeah. This is like the first time pretty much this is happening. So so maybe I'm being a little too hard on it because to someone in 95 that may have sounded unbelievable that a show would just keep going. Like like a legitimate sporting event would had there been extra innings or overtime. Right. Lex uh, gets an eye poke on Savage. So the first real heel thing he's done this match and Randy takes a wild swing at Nick Patrick. Not sure who it is. <laughs> the announcers, they didn't seem to see the eye poke. Right. So they all react like they're appalled that he's trying to hit a referee. <laughs> and they wonder if he's going to get um, uh, put on probation like Hogan and Flair did for the same thing. Yeah. It actually falls to Heenan to say, well, no, Macho just couldn't see. So the heel <laughs> announcer is explaining that the baby face is not being a dick. Like, Bobby should be the one going, oh, he swung at him. And the, yeah. the uh, babyface announcer like, oh, should. he's trying to get disqualified to retain the title. Lex uh, ran, rams Randy's head into the turnbuckle a few times before hitting a clothesline for a two count. A lot more back and forth action with Lex in control. Uh, Bischoff, at this point, <laughs> he asks if we like to watch wrestling or if we like to watch guys talk about wrestling. He then tells us the action is right here on Nitro. And the rest is all gaga. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I'm guessing I'm guessing that over on Raw is a, a segment where people are talking. Yeah. I'm okay. thinking that he must be directly referring to Raw at that moment. Yeah. Because I don't know why else he would say, do you want to watch guys wrestling or guys talk about wrestling? It's <laughs> really confusing. It's not like there's a lot of wrestling talk shows I can check out instead, you know? <laughs> and... and <laughs> And the, the Gaga part is like I was saying earlier where <laughs> he kind of at the moment doesn't know what to say. So he just throws out whatever's in his head. These two go back on the outside and brawl around more. And Bobby the Brain says they've been out on the floor more than they've been in the ring, which is exactly how I feel, Bobby. <laughs> and it's not a good thing. <laughs> Macho Man whips Lex into the guardrail and rolls him back in the ring, whips him in the corner, hits a clothesline for two. Uh, the announcer's note... Uh, notice at this point that one of the turnbuckle pads is gone and Mongo lets us know that he saw Jimmy Hart remove it when the referee wasn't looking. Lex goes to ram Savage's face into the exposed uh, guardrail, but Savage counters and instead Lex eats bare steel and falls back, uh, which he knocks himself into Nick Patrick as he goes back. 
Nick Patrick sells this like death and rolls all the way out of the <laughs> right. ring. So pretty solid ref bump here. <laughs> Macho Man goes up top and hits the elbow to a real huge pop. Biggest pop of the night, probably. Other than uh, maybe being told that they're great basketball fans. The crowd also <laughs> really like that. Jimmy Hart is uh, up on the apron. He's beckoning someone to come out from the back. Uh, Macho Man goes to pummel Jimmy Hart which allows Ric Flair to sneak up behind him and lay him out with uh, the kind of brass knuckle type foreign object weapon. Yep. He then drags Lex on top of Macho Man and leaves. So even though, again, here, Lex is the beneficiary of heel tactics, he's not perpetrating this himself, you know? So it kind of protects him and gets back to what Sting is saying, that Jimmy Hart is really the source of the problem, not Lex Luger. Right. Flair poses and struts backwards down the aisle, which looks really awkward. And it's just so that he doesn't see Hulk Hogan coming out behind him. Uh, Hogan, just like this is a, a town that does not like Flair. They are a pro Hogan crowd. They, yeah. they were excited to see the Hulkster. He chases Flair all the way back to the ring uh, before grabbing him by the belt as Flair tries to escape out the other side of the ring. And he's just about to punch Flair, but Nick Patrick is now back in the ring and uh, he starts to count the pin on Savage because Lex is still laying there on top of Savage from where Flair dragged him. Um, so Hogan instead lets Flair go and goes over to stop the count. So Hogan stops the count by standing and, and Lex ends up standing up. Hogan then pulls Jimmy Hart in the ring and uses him as a battering ram right into Lex's ribs. <laughs> Hogan winds up to punch Lex, but Lex moves out of the way and Hogan punches Sting, who is run down. <laughs> to kind of help stop his buds from all fighting each other. Uh. So Sting is pissed about getting punched. He pushes Hogan. Uh, rather than just apologizing for decking Sting accidentally, Hogan tears his shirt off and starts talking <laughs> a bunch of shit to Sting. <laughs> like a real dick. <laughs> Luger and Hart just completely fuck off. The match is over yeah. with. I, I guess Lex probably wins due to disqualification. Because or- I think the first thing Patrick sees is Hogan in the ring. Yeah. So I think I think Lex wins by disqualification, or it's a no contest. Uh, so we head to commercial, but not before seeing uh, Macho Man kind of physically separate Sting and Hogan because they are about to come to blows. Right. So we get a commercial, and when we come back, Mean Gene is in the ring with the boys, and let's go to an audio clip uh, as they try to sort out th- the situation <laughs> between them. All right, take it away, Gene Okerlund. Valerie Bischoff, we've got to sort out a lot of things here this evening in Phoenix at America West Arena. Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, you come on in here. You know, you were on probation. You were on probation, and you touched another referee tonight. Well, you know something, brother? We're not worried about no stinking probation, man. All I want to know is next week, brother, you and I, who are friends, are supposed to team up to kick Ric Flair and Arn Anderson from here and there and back again. I just want to know, what's the deal with Luger? And do you know what side you're on? What about that jaw, Sting? Say it straight up, brother. Okay, Macho. Macho Man wants me to say it straight up, and so do you, Hulkster. I am on your side. Well, then what's going on? With Lex Luger. Lex Luger is my best friend. I don't agree with the Jimmy Hart thing going on. He's mixed up right now. I'm trying to straighten him out, and I don't have a problem with that, and neither should you. Would you run out on a friend? Would you run out on Macho Man? Let me ask you another question. 
I am, sometimes I question this man right here. He's a heck of a guy, but I question him and some of his motives. But I am not gonna down the macho man. So why do you every single week have to down the total package? Well, let me tell you, if we're gonna backtrack, brother, digress, as some idiots may say, Macho Man is the one that warned us all about Luger in the first place. That's right, straight up, brother. And I called it like I saw it, and I believe that the, yeah, I think that I called it right up. Okay, you think you called it like it was right straight up, but maybe, maybe Luger's fuse is just about that long, this much shorter than yours, mine, or yours. Maybe you just didn't give him the opportunity that he felt he wanted. Oh, really? Oh, is that right? Possibly. All right, what do you got I'm to say? I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just pointing out a possible fact. Make your point, tell me. Wait a minute, have we got a little friction? Were we more friction than we had before? All I can say is, Hulkster, we are going up against a nature boy, Ric Flair, a person who I despise. And Arn Anderson, I can't stand him either. And if you and me don't get our stuff straight once and for all, we may lose the whole deal here. Well, let me tell you something, brother. You're my friend, dude. I'm gonna climb in that ring next Monday, Nitro. We're gonna kick Ric Flair and Arn Anderson out of the building. Right. Do me one favor. What? Keep Luger out of my face. Seems like a reasonable request for a tag team partner. I'm here to make one last statement, and that is I will do everything in my power to keep Luger out of your face, macho man, and God knows I want to keep him out of your face, Hulkster, and I'll do it. I think that is good enough, gentlemen. We're taking a look at these two men collaborating next Monday night right here on WCW's Monday Nitro when they face Flair and Anderson. It is up in the air here in Phoenix. Eric Bischoff, let's get back to you, Mongo, in the brain. As you heard there, Hogan wonders if he can trust Sting next week in their big tag match. And Sting uh, finally kind of comes out with his explanation of, of, like I said, the whole Lex Luger thing. He explains that he and Lex are friends and that they've been treating him like an asshole, so he kind of turned into an asshole, but he's trying his best to keep Lex on the on the side of good. Uh, Hogan, at one point, bizarrely says... Uh, he goes, if we're going to backtrack or digress, as some idiots might say. And I want to ask you, Dave, is digress just the word that idiots say when they want to say backtrack? <laughs> I there, I have so many problems <laughs> with the way that Hogan is approaching like anything in his life. All right. Well, hang on. Let me, let me finish up just describing what sure. we saw. Sure. Sting manages to convince Hogan that they're on the same side. Hogan agrees and just demands that all Sting needs to do is keep Luger out of his face uh, next week when they tag. Sting says, no problem, and we end the show with the baby faces raising each other's arms. Uh, the announcers then give a little recap, and they plug the main event for next week, the Flair Arn Anderson uh, versus Sting and Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So please uh, do talk to us about how fucked up Hulk Hogan's decision-making <laughs> is. So, okay, okay so his, his issue... With Lex Luger is that Lex Luger is supposedly in his business all the time. And uh, from what I can recall since Halloween Havoc, when Lex Luger had him in the torture rack, he's kept himself out of his business. Yeah, pretty uh, much he's been targeting Macho Man. Yeah. 
And so the beef is with him. Uh, and Hogan, the only reason why he has like Luger on his mind is because he came down to the ring and he <laughs> attacked Lex Luger. Yeah. He came into a match that wasn't his and made sure Luger didn't win the title. And yet he is the one that feels that he has been uh, faulted here. He, yeah, he also acts like the victim because Sting pushed him, like, gently no. after he punched Sting in the mouth. Yeah. Like, it was an accident, but you say, that was a total accident, bro. I am so sorry. Right. Instead, he tears off his shirt and is like, you want to fucking go, you little pussy? <laughs> right. So what the f- Hulk Hogan, the character, and the real human being seems like such a shitty friend. Right. And also, it's like, uh, Hogan asks Sting to explain his relationship with Luger, which he just fucking did early on in the show. (laughs) He was out there in front of the crowd explaining the situation where it's just like, him and Luger are friends. He doesn't approve of everything Luger does. But everyone has friends like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Most of mine are listening to the show right now. You, <laughs> you assholes, get your shit together. <laughs> I mean, Hogan's friends with Savage. Yeah. Savage is like one of the least <laughs> trustworthy friends you could have. It's a great point. <laughs> it, it's just... I, I, There's no reasonable explanation for why Hogan is so upset. My other note on this segment is something that we haven't talked about since episode one, and that is uh, the blocking in WCW is still terrible. Yes. Guys will still turn their backs to the camera and make it so you can't see their face. You can't see Mean Gene behind them. They just crowd around the microphone in a little huddle, and it's it's such bad television to yeah. stand around like that. And also, um, Aside from Savage actually having the belt on his shoulder, mm-hmm. if you took the belt off his shoulder from this situation, it's the same conversation they've been having back in September. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, right before uh, War Games, they were wondering about Luger's loyalties and stuff. So I, I felt like the, the story between these four is, like, regressing. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And, and so... And that was unfortunate because I, I f- it did feel like when Sting was talking with Luger that he kind of like explained the situation and he's like, okay, it's not going to be our really, our friendship's not perfect. You do things that are kind of shitty, but we're still friends. I'm not going to just stop being friends with you. Then Hogan comes back and was like, he, he digressed. <laughs> That's oh, exactly what you're, he did. you idiot. You're supposed <laughs> to say backtrack. You <laughs> dumb, dumb idiot. All right. So we should move on. The show is over. Our raw recap this week. The British Bulldog defeated Bob Sparkplug Holly. Fatu defeated the Brooklyn Brawler. Razor Ramon retained his Intercontinental title against Dean Douglas. Marty Janetti De- defeated Psycho Sid uh, by disqualification when the 123 Kid interfered. And the main event segment was actually an interview with uh, Shawn Michaels' doctor who put doubt on whether Shawn would ever return to the ring. So that must be what Bischoff was referring to wow. guys talking about wrestling. That sounds like a really shitty rot, too. <laughs> uh, and that's probably why in the ratings war, uh, Nitro won with a 2.6 to Raw's 2.4, which is partially due. So let's talk about it. That's the reason why the show went long. This uh, Nitro is the first instance of a uh, wrestling show or at least a, a Monday night uh, show between these two companies going long. Okay. And the reason you do that is that typically wrestling shows add ratings uh, the longer A, a match goes on, and B, towards the end of an evening. So Bischoff knew that if he let his show go long, 
anything that goes over the end of the show, uh, which I think is you know nine o'clock or at least nine o'clock Central Time here in Minnesota. Sure. Um, anything that goes over that, the people that are watching that actually get figured back in to the final quarter hour that the show is scheduled for. Okay. So it's a really easy way. Television ratings are kind of complicated. I'm not sure that I even fully understand it. it. Basically, it's a tactic to make your rating bigger than it is. Sure. And it's a smart move. It's it's something that clearly has worked because that's a th- slim win, 2.6 2.4. That might have been the difference right there is having that overrun. Yeah. People finish Raw. They click over. Oh, shit. Nitro's still going? Yeah. And then they watch 10 more minutes of Nitro, and that just pads out Nitro's rating. It's a, it's a really smart move. And it's one that we see Nitro pretty much takes from here forward. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Raw will adopt the same strategy. And Raw, to this day, despite not even having another wrestling show competing with them, right. they still do an overrun, yeah. which really doesn't make a lot of sense, but <laughs> they're just used to it now. In other news, kind of uh, backstage, Ric Flair has been diagnosed with a torn rotator cuff Oops. that he has actually been doing uh, dealing with for a few weeks including his World War Three match uh, against Sting. So he has been, he's not going to need surgery. He's not going to miss major time. But yeah, he has been dealing with a, a hurt shoulder for quite some time now. Oh, I suppose that would explain when Pillman took his place against Eddie Guerrero. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Took yeah. me a second to remember what you're talking about, but you are absolutely correct. So anything else you want to say about this Nitro? We have talked a lot about this one, including uh, kind of what's going on in WCW at the moment. Before we uh, get to our final thoughts, uh, who is your MVP of this program? Uh, my Nitro MVP, I am giving to Charles Barkley. Nice. That's a strong choice. Um, I, I liked it because he, I mean, as a, as a celebrity appearance, he definitely had like the wrestling acumen as far as like how to talk like a heel or talk like a, like a good guy. Um, and he's out there supporting Ric Flair who wasn't being cheered by the fans. And him just not giving a fuck about that. I'm going to give my MVP to a man who really only did one impressive thing, but it was so fucking impressive. He he earned it. I'm giving mine to Scott Norton for that awesome delayed atomic drop on the Giant. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, what was your match of the, the evening? Um, I, I did like the, the couple of the highlights from the Giant, Scott Norton, but like overall, it's only a few minutes, so... I went with uh, Harlem Heat versus the American Males. I thought it was a pretty good match, um, but it's not. It wasn't really a strong one for candidates this week. Yeah, it's a that's a good, not great match. Um, but yeah, there was no better match on the show. I will say that Macho and Lex was their best match that they've had so far, right? By by a far margin, too. Sure. Uh, but it still wasn't very good. It's it, I didn't enjoy watching it. I was mostly bored. It was enough to say, oh, this is better than when I've seen these guys wrestle before. But uh, I still wish I wasn't watching them wrestle. Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, any other thoughts that you've got on this episode? Uh, I'm really kind of tapped out. I, I've, we've talked a lot about this one. It, it was a pretty pretty average show other than the Barkley thing. Um, not yeah, a lot, and not it was a lot a, happened. Yeah, and it was another show where they kind of uh, they circled the wagons around like the, the big match next week. So they kind of... They the, the they kind of get this habit of like announcing something during the show, and they just get really off track and not paying attention to what happens on the current Nitro instead of focusing on what happens next week. That is very true. So we will be back next week to find out what happens as Sting and Hulk Hogan take on Arn Anderson and Ric Flair here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro.
What action. Look at these two guys just pummeling each other. They are digging. I love this so. Oh! Hey, you want to watch wrestling or you want to watch people talk about wrestling? If you like to watch action, you're watching Nitro. The rest of it's on Gaga.